That's how serious we are today. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, I want to, uh, this is, some of it's familiar, but I think some of it might be a little bit unfamiliar to you, or it might be a little bit uh, a different, maybe a little different take than you've heard before, and I hope it will uh, encourage you and challenge you a little bit. So Matthew chapter 6, um, first, it, by the way, outlines uh, are, should be available. I don't know if, how many extras we have. We might be a little bit low. I didn't, we have a good crowd tonight, so um, if you need one, uh, you can, I can get you one later, I guess, um, if you don't have one now. But uh, the question was, how should we pray? How should we pray? And uh, we see this in the Christian's life of prayer. This whole thing is about how, how prayer should, should be in a Christian's life. And so we want to start with the purpose of prayer. Very simply, the purpose of prayer, Matthew 6. Let's look at this verse, these verses together. We start in verse 8. He says, and when you pray, okay, so when you pray, he's talked about deeds and hypocrisy and deeds. Now he's talking about prayer. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Now, what does the word hypocrite mean? Come on in, teenagers. There's some spots over here. Uh, the teens are joining us tonight. Pray for Pastor Drew. He's not feeling very well tonight, so they're coming in uh, with us, so. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? Anybody know? Saying one thing, doing another? Okay. What does the word literally mean in Greek? Does anybody know what the word hypocrite refers to in the Greek language? It has, it has the idea of a mask, and it has the idea of an actor, someone who plays a part, right? So it has to do with playing a part and doing something that, you know, is not authentic, so don't be like the hypocrites, for they love, here's the description of the hypocrites, verse 5, they love to pray. Now that's kind of interesting, isn't it? That these ungodly people were not to be like, they actually enjoy praying, okay? They like praying, but look at how they pray. They love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask them. Jesus instructs his disciples here uh, in many things, uh, but the first thing he preaches to them or he teaches to them is, do not pray to be seen. That's your first blank there. Do not pray to be seen. You see that in verse, uh, verse 5? They love to be seen. They want to be noticed by other people. Have you ever um, found yourself praying to be seen by somebody? Um, there are other religious things you can do to be seen by other people. You can perform religious things. You can do religious things and do it for other people. How, in, how are you supposed to pray instead? What does it tell us to do? Go in secret. Okay, does that mean nobody can know when you're praying? Like if they discover you praying, it's like, oh, oh no. What's the point of that, of that command? Anybody? It's not for show, right? You're praying, you're praying. The purpose of prayer is not for other people to hear you pray. It's to pray to God. It's communion with God. So, these people are seeking some sort of reward by being seen by other people. He says they've had their reward. What kind of reward would that be referring to? Yeah, acknowledgement that, oh, now that's a spiritual guy. Yeah, I got to use big phrases when I pray so that people know that I know God, right? I've got to speak in lofty terms 
or I've got to do these things. And, and that's, a, you know, um, that's, a very, that's a temptation for all of us. He says, go to your room. Don't pray in public. These two places, he says, in the synagogues, in the corners of the streets. The idea this guy's in public, he's praying out loud. Don't be like that. Then he says another thing. Um, he says, uh, do not pray as a heathen person prays. Now, a heathen person is a pagan person, person who's not Christian, okay? Um, what is the characteristic trait of a heathen prayer, according to this? Repetition. What kind of repetition? Vain. Vain. What does the word vain mean? Empty repetition. Okay. Now, so I've heard this talked about, and I, they, but, but what you, in a lot of different ways, but what you'll, you have to stay focused on what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that if you use a phrase or a word in your speech, in your prayer, that that's somehow vain repetition. There's a, there was a purpose behind repetition in pagan prayer. And we're not very pagan uh, as Christians, but we shouldn't be at all pagan, right? But our culture is, is becoming more and more pagan. But um, we, our soul culture is still very Christian in a lot of respects. And we don't really understand the way they thought. Uh, so if you do some reading, what you'll find is that pagan people did what's called performative worship, and that they would often do things with hopes that the gods would bless them for their performances. So do you remember the scene uh, where Elijah is on Mount Carmel, right? And he's, he's battling the gods of, uh, the, the, not the gods, but the, um, the, the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal, what are they doing in order to try to get it to rain? They cut themselves. They cut themselves. Why would they cut themselves? Because now comes fluid, right? Body, body fluid onto the ground, and it's representational for what they want Baal to do to bring rain. It's like, look, we're cutting ourselves. They're, they're doing these things. That's, a very, that's why they did all kinds of immoralities as well. They would engage in immorality to say, look, we're, we're, be, we're procreating. Why don't you bless us with procreation? Why don't you bless us with bounty, with, with uh, uh, more stuff, more things? So uh, they would do these kind of very performative. They would, what, when you do that, when you are doing that, how are you treating God with your prayers? How are you treating God? Think about it. Like a genie in a bottle, like you, okay. Like, like, like you're the master and he's the servant. Same idea, yeah. Like you're calling the shots. You're, you're, trying to, you're trying to get him to serve you instead of you serve him, right? You're just got, trying to get God to do your bidding. Uh, if, and, and so these vain repetitions is the idea that by repeating words over and over again, you can convince God that he needs to do something for you. These are empty words. These are, they think that they, it says they will be heard for their many words. If they just say a lot of things, they will be heard. But he says, don't be like them because God already knows what you need. You see that? Um, God already knows about your needs before you ask of him. So the purpose of prayer is not to, is not to convince God of something. It's not to manipulate God into a corner or box him to in a corner. So then Jesus continues with the model prayer in verses 9 through 13. Now, the model prayer, we've often called this the Lord's Prayer. Some people call it the Disciples' Prayer. But Jesus then in verse 9 actually gives a, an example, what I, you know, we call an example prayer, a model prayer. He says, in this manner, therefore pray. So when he says the word manner there, he's saying in this way, this is how you're to do it. So don't pray this way. Let me show you how to pray. Okay, so here's the alternative to that kind of vain repetition. You ready? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Notice the instructions on how we are to pray. And prayer is expected. It's obvious we should be praying. When you pray, pray in this manner. And in this prayer, and the interesting thing is, I mean, how many of you have been to an event where you say this prayer verbatim? I mean, you know what verbatim means? It means, uh, yeah, we're, we're, exactly, we're perfect. Everybody says it together, right? And, and the funny thing is, that's not what Jesus is saying. Like, he's not saying this is the only prayer you should pray. He's also, I think the point is that this is not like a prayer that we ought to, now it's fine to have it memorized, it's great to have it memorized, but this is more of a structural model for how we should pray. Let's look at the different parts of this prayer, and I want you to just walk through this. Who's the audience for this prayer? What's that? Our Father who's in heaven, right? It's not your brother on the street. It's important. You're praying not for other people. It's not a performance. It's to the Lord. So you're praying to our Father who is in heaven, okay? The first section there is worship. There's a little W there to get you started on these worship. He says, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means what? To be made holy, to be called holy. Uh, Holy means set apart. It means special. It means unique. Uh, So God, you are holy. You notice that he does not begin with, Lord, I have a backache right now. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You ought to pray about your backache. You ought to pray these requests. But in this model prayer, if, if this is the model prayer we are to follow with how we pray, he begins with worshiping God. That's a very important thing. It begins the first step of worship. And immediately following worship, what happens with worship is the next step, which is submission. When you worship, you are submitting to God. And this is really key. Notice how he says, hallowed be your name. What's the next phrase? your kingdom come. So you're submitting to the rule over my life, God's rule over my life. Your kingdom come. God, I want your kingdom to rule and reign in my life and here. I want, I want your kingdom to come. Now, there's also, of course, the future kingdom of God that we're talking about, the millennial kingdom. We're asking for God to do that, but in, in the immediate sense we're talking about, we are, we are completely submitting to God's rule, not my way, but your way. Jesus says, not my will, but thy will be done, right? This is the attitude we have to have. God's rule uh, over my life. Thy, uh, thy, as he says here, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now we're submitting to the will of God in my life, God's desire for my life. <clears throat> and we're asking for this to be done perfectly according to God's way on earth as it is in heaven. We know God in heaven uh, everything is perfect in heaven. Everything is not yet perfected on earth. We are saying we want everything in our lives, everything we touch, everything we have to be completely submitted to your power, your rule, and your will. Can you really say that to God? That, that is a very, very direct and difficult thing to actually give over to God. Because so many of us have little corners of our life that we'd like to have dominion over, our little kingdoms. And, God, and, and in the prayer that Jesus gives us, we immediately, after worshiping God for being holy, we say, your will be done, your kingdom come. And that's what we're submitting to him. Then after we worship and we submit, what's the next step? Starts with an R. Requests. There you go. Some of you try to guess the, the blanks when there aren't even a first letter. This is a little too easy for you. Requests for our needs, a request for, for, for provision. We have several different requests, and this is very important that 
He begins with worship, then submission, then request. We, we also, when he's asking this request, there are a couple of things we recognize. We're recognizing God's relationship with us, that he is the one who can grant these needs to us. Like where you go to get requests met is where you believe the power is, right? There's the classic story of the lady who's stuck in the McDonald's drive-thru and she's trying to order McNuggets. And they say, I'm sorry, ma'am, we're out. So she calls the police. Did you hear that? I had it on, it was a news article several years ago. She calls the police and she's angry at the police because McDonald's is out of McNuggets. Now, let me ask you a question. What are the police going to do in that situation? Nothing. All that demonstrates is that in her mind, the police were in charge. So if I call the police, maybe they can do something. It doesn't make sense to us, but in her, it showed us who she thought of as the most important and most um, uh, authoritative figure who had the power. Think about little children when they get in fights. What do they do? They get in fights with each other. They go, Mom! Why? Because Mom can speak authoritatively on the situation. Mom, she took it from me. Okay, well, give it back. Okay, right? She has the power. Where, where we appeal when we need something is where we believe the power is. So do, where do you appeal? Do you appeal to God? Do you immediately go to God and say, Lord, I need your help right now because this is out of my hands. This is out of my control, right? You need to recognize he's the one who can grant these needs. And also, this is key, he is the one responsible to provide for us. He has claimed that responsibility for us. He says, look at the grass of the field. You know, you're clothed better than that. Or, or Solomon in all his glory wasn't clothed like them. I take care of them. I take care of the sparrows. I take care of the birds of the air. They don't struggle. I, I have never seen a, a righteous man lacking bread. God says that he will take care of us. And it's his responsibility to take care of us. And so because of that, we ought to recognize that he is the one who grants it. He's responsible. So we go to him. We say, Lord, uh, we have requests uh, for our daily our daily needs. And notice the kinds of requests we're talking about here. He says, give us this day our daily bread, not give us this day the bread for the next 150 years. It's today's bread. And it's a great illustration because bread goes bad after a little while, so you need bread every day. Well, you used to before you didn't have preservatives like we do in our bread today. You used to have to have bread every day, and so it's a constant reminder that I cannot store up. If I store up too much bread, what will happen? It will go bad, and then I'll have to. It doesn't matter, right? It's, and that's how life is. We have to constantly be dependent on God. Give us this day our daily bread, and then also the next one: uh, we are to request for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts, or forgive us our. Are really, these are spiritual debts, sinful debts, not, not financial debts here he's talking about. Often the modern translations will translate this trespasses, so we understand he's talking about sin, our debts. But the word is debt. It's the idea of that we owe something. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And this is, is connected to the illustration of, or the, uh, the parable Jesus gives about the, um, the, uh, the very man who had a great debt and he was forgiven, and then he went and um, demanded that his debt, be, his, the debt of his, the smaller debt, be paid back to him, and um, so forgiveness, forgiveness, and the last one is spiritual health. Spiritual health um, closes it out with, "And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one." Okay, um, the evil one, evil itself, deliver us from evil. Don't lead us into temptation, Lord. Keep us in spiritually healthy place. That's our model prayer. And then I want to get into the attitude of prayer. 
If you look at Hebrews 4, the first attitude we should have, why don't you turn your Bible there? This is out of Matthew now. Um, This passage of Scripture we could spend a lot of time on. We're not going to. I'm going to focus on one main aspect of these verses. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Uh, Scripture says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. That's the basis for this. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points was tempted as we are yet without sin. So Jesus was tempted like we are yet without sin. He's our high priest. Look at verse 16. Let us therefore what? Come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in a time of need. Our our position, our attitude in coming in prayer should be with boldness. We ought to come with boldness. Come boldly, to enter boldly. And this is a picture of the priest entering into the holy place to offer a sacrifice. Now, when the priest entered the holy place, how did he enter? Talk to me. What, how would, when the priest entered the holy, the holy place to, to, to offer the sacrifice, how would the Old Testament priest um, enter, and what, what would his attitude be? What would his, his demeanor be? What would his, his heart be thinking? I think he would be in great fear and trembling because he has not yet offered the sacrifice, or he has not yet given the sacrifice to God theoretically, he doesn't know if it's been accepted, and he is the one presenting this offering. There, is a, a, a lot, there are a lot of things that happen there in, in, in the Old Testament when it comes to worship, a lot of details, but notice that I think is a huge contrast. While the Old Testament priests might enter trembling to offer sacrifices to the Lord, we come boldly before the throne because the offering has already been offered and already been accepted. Right? We come boldly in Christ. There's no reason for us to come, timid, uh, to come with timid, uh, timidity. And he says we're to come before the throne of grace. What is the implication here? Who's the priest? He's the high priest. But we are priests. We believe in what's called the priesthood of the believer. You don't need me. You don't need to ask my forgiveness for your sin. We were in a church in France, we were on a mission trip, and there was a confessional in the corner. What a sad thing that people go and confess to a priest, a man, and ask his forgiveness for their sin. And he tells them to do things to pay for their sin, to say prayers and to, to, to say words, vain repetitions in order to make God forget. I mean, that, that kind of stuff is common in our world today. You know, when God tells us that you can come boldly before the throne of grace, you yourself can go straight to God through Christ. What a wonderful, if you're you're in Christ, if you know Jesus, if you have Christ as your Savior, you can come before Him with boldness. We are all priests before God. He is the high priest. We all stand before the throne of grace, and it's called the throne of grace, the throne where He gives gifts. The word grace means the idea of gifts, and He gives us mercy, and He gives us gifts. He's doling out these gifts, and when we come, we will obtain mercy. We will receive mercy. Um, and we will find grace in our time of need. Those moments when we have a need, God has the perfect 
grace, the perfect gift to fit that need. Uh, uh, three more illustrations, and I want to get through these because this is, this is great. I think this is really neat. Mark chapter 10, uh, Pastor Drew preached on this not too long ago. We have uh, this um, uh, command, and, and if you'd look with me, Mark 10 verse 13. Teaches, uh, tells us that they brought little children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will by no means enter it. He took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and, and blessed them. Uh, Jesus calls for us to come as a child to him. Um, I have a quote here from a book. Um, I think this is from Paul Miller's book on oh, praying, a praying life. He says, Jesus' rebuke would have surprised the disciples. It would have seemed very odd. Children in the first century were not considered cute or innocent. Only since the 19th century romantic era have we idolized children. Jesus wants us to be without pretense when we come to him in prayer. Instead, we often try to be something we aren't. We begin by concentrating on God, but almost immediately our minds wander off in a dozen different directions. The problem of the day pushes our well-intentioned resolve to the spiritual. We give ourselves a spiritual kick in the pants and try again, but life crowds out, crowds out prayer. We know that prayer isn't supposed to be like this, so we give up in despair. We might as well get something done, we think. What's the problem? We're trying to be spiritual, to get it right. We don't know, we don't need, we know we don't need to clean up our act in order to become a Christian, but when it comes to praying, we forget that. We, like adults, try to fix ourselves up. In contrast, Jesus wants us to come to him like children, just as we are. I love that. Because we need to come to Christ needy and broken and, and who we are. And my kids, when, when we don't clean them up, they have dirty faces, right? If you haven't been paying attention to the little kids, or our kids in our house, we're like, how long have you had food in your hair? Oh, I don't know, right? That, that because they're children. They are who they are. And we need to realize that, that we need to come to Christ um, as a child. But that's not the only illustration. I mean, we hear that one all the time, right? All of us have heard, come as a child. Great. How about this one? Go to Luke 18 with me. Luke 18. One of the other illustrations or parables Jesus gives is he says, we're supposed to come to him. I believe this is a, a parable of prayer. Come to him as a widow. Luke 18, he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men, but there was also a widow of that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary, when he would not for a while, but afterward he said to himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? A lot of things to talk about in this. He's not saying that we, you know, what he's saying is that there's a, there's a judge who is not fear God, who's not a good judge, yet even he will do right when he's asked to do right repeatedly. And he says, God is, is so good. And he, he, he not only is, the, he's the opposite of this judge, and will he not so much more 
avenge us and do, and do justice. Now, think of the widow. What's the widow in, in the culture that, we, that we're talking about here? What's the key character trait of a widow? Obviously, she has no husband. What's, what does that leave her? Where does that put her? She's very what? Very vulnerable, right? Very vulnerable. And it doesn't take much to, to lose everything, and she knows that she has to get help because she's been taken advantage of. There's an adversary who's taking advantage of her. And she says, please, please go on my behalf. I, I can't do this on my own. I cannot stand up for myself. And I think sometimes we need to come to God like that. Like, I can't stand up for myself. I, I am vulnerable here. I'm in a bad situation. Lord, I need you. And ask again. And ask again. And then don't, don't go to someone else. Ask again. Because she was persistent in her coming. And, and the last illustration here is in Luke 11. So go back a few chapters to Luke 11. And this is come as a neighbor. Come as a neighbor. Luke 11, 5, Jesus' teaching says, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. My door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his what? Because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, the word persistence here is actually a tricky word in the Greek. It actually is not just the idea of saying the same thing over and over again. That's more of what we saw this continual speaking of earlier. The word Persistence. Does anybody have an alternate translation or maybe a footnote in their Bible? Because you should. Boldness. That's good. There's another word I'm looking for. Yeah. Can you? Importunity. What's another word for importunity? Here's your vocabulary. Okay. How about shamelessness? Okay. What kind of person wakes somebody up at midnight to ask for bread? Don't you know everyone's asleep? Have you no decency? Have you no culture? Have you no you know, manners? No, that's the idea. Is that it's, it's, it's like I, I will come completely, uh, I don't care how this makes me look. I don't care how this embarrasses me. I, it's completely shameless. It's like you're asking God for things that, that you know, if you were to say in public, they might, you might be embarrassed about. And, and that's the picture here. It's not, he says it's not, that his friend, it's not his friendship that gets him out of bed. It's the fact that he knows it's, it's shamelessness, that he's coming at midnight to ask for bread. It must be really bad. Like he's, he's just being shameless in his, in his request. And, and so uh, in the same sense, I had some more um, quotes here uh, about, about how that, um, um, how, how we ought, uh, actually I'll get into that in a second. But the idea is that we ought to just really be completely open with God and, and, and come to Him like a neighbor in the middle of the night about anything, you know, because God wants you to come to Him. Um, I'm running out of time, but I want to briefly give you the rest of this, and that last one is persistence, the persistence of prayer. Pray without ceasing. What does it mean to pray without ceasing? These are the quotes I was thinking of. I, I got a couple more quotes for you. Praying life isn't simply a morning prayer time. It's about slipping into prayer at odd hours of the day, not because we are disciplined, but because we're in touch with our poverty of spirit, realizing that we can't even walk through a mall or a neighborhood without the help of the Spirit of Jesus. 
That, that is the shamelessness. It's like, Lord, guard my eyes while I'm walking through this mall right now because there's some stuff I know I'm going to see that I don't want to think about, okay? Lord, I need your help. I'm going to be talking to my, my neighbor, and you know how he is. He can be really difficult, and I just don't want to lose my temper and lose my, lose my uh, testimony with him. Like, this is the kind of stuff you ought to be talking to. That's what it means to live in a constant uh, time of prayer. A couple more quotes. I was reading the book, The Red Sea Rules, which is a really great book. I had a couple helpful suggestions on prayer. I'm just going to give you a couple of them now. The first one he says is about how to pray often. He says, the best way to develop an abiding awareness of God's presence is to speak to Him often in prayer. Prayer is the environment in which we most solidly connect with God on an intimate basis. We may not always feel His presence in an emotional sense, okay? But by faith, we enter His presence in a vital spiritual sense. Here's the key. Sometimes you'll have moments where you pray and you feel like God is right there next to you, and you have this emotional, spiritual moment. But that's very unusual. That's not normal. Trusting God means you pray even when you may feel like your prayers aren't getting above the ceiling because you're praying in faith, knowing that God hears you. You see the difference? You, you, you pray even if it doesn't feel like you're being heard. Just like you believe God when He says you're forgiven, even if you don't feel forgiven, you believe that you're being heard when you pray because He says He will hear you if you come to Him in faith and if you have uh, no unconfessed sin, etc. And then on uh, speaking to God, he had a little helpful, um, uh, which I, I've ne- I haven't thought of doing in this, but uh, I thought this was really interesting. He said, I want you to visualize God's presence in your mind when you pray. This man says, often when I pray, I look at a nearby chair and talk to God as though he were sitting there. I speak to him naturally as to a friend. It isn't a matter of projecting an imaginary image of God or pretending he's there. It's a matter of recognizing the presence of God who really is there. When we pray, we ought to be persistent in our prayer. We ought to be continual in our prayer. And I think that as people, we ought to develop our life of prayer so that we are regularly spending time with God and we'll all be the better for it, I think. Uh, any questions or anything you want to add as we close this out? We have maybe a couple minutes here towards the end. Anybody have any uh, thoughts or questions? I'm sorry, I kind of dominated that. Didn't give a lot of time for questions here at the end. But anybody have anything? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is it okay to pray when you're in a restaurant, like for your food or something? Yeah, I wanted to say there is nothing wrong. What I was trying to get away from... Some people have said things like vain repetition means that you shouldn't say, like, people who pray for their food say often the same things. Well, that's, you know, that's vain repetition. Oh, that's not vain repetition. How many times do you say the same thing to your spouse over and over again? I, I ask my wife, hey, how you doing? You doing okay? Like, I say that probably like three or four times a day. How's it going? You doing okay? Does that mean, is that a vain repetition? Does she get tired of me? She might get, <laughs> she might get tired of me saying that. But, like, that's normal conversation. Like, I say I love you, and I'm sure, I'm sure she doesn't get tired of hearing that. Like, we can, say, we can say things to God over and over again. That's not vain repetition, okay? Vain repetition is, is, is trying to squeeze something out of God by, by um, saying something over and over again in a very paganistic way. No, this is... So, that, so yeah, if you go and pray... Now, I'm not saying... Um, Rand, you know Rand Hummel at the Wilds? He had this whole thing he used to talk about praying for your food, and he said, um, he said, you don't need to go to Burger King and stand up on the table and say, Lord, we're here at Burger King, we recognize you're the king, and, uh, you know, and start praying and, and, and shouting just so everybody gets it. No, that's not appropriate. But there's nothing wrong with, nothing wrong with spending time. Don't be embarrassed. Don't, you know, do the, 
drop your napkin and pray kind of thing on the way down and on the way back up. You know, definitely pray and thank the Lord for your opportunity to, to, to have food because it is from Him and every gift, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Amen. Good question. Yeah. All right. I, I, want, I want to challenge you in this. I think we should definitely be people who are praying, and I hope this will help you in your spiritual growth. Let's pray as we close. Lord, thank you for your word that gives us instruction in all things, including how we are to commune with you. And even tonight, Lord, I pray before we go to bed, all of us would have a moment of sweet prayer where we would spend just a few moments thanking you for all your blessings today and for getting us uh, through today and for providing for us as you have. I pray your blessings on our church. I pray your blessings on our folks here. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone here this, this evening who doesn't yet know you and doesn't have this fellowship with you, they would get that, um, get that taken care of very soon, that they would trust you as their Savior. They would believe in you and receive your gift of salvation, and they would stop trusting in their own um, works to go to heaven, and that they would um, receive this forgiveness and have fellowship with you. Lord, bless our evening and protect us as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. God bless you all. Have a great night.